morning, everyone. How are you this morning? <laughs> hey, everybody! Hey. It's so good to see everybody this morning. Oh, hey, Jasmine. Oh, good morning, Callie Mae. I got a question, Jasmine. Uh huh. What's so important about going to church on Sundays? Oh, well, why would you ask such a question as that? Well, I don't get to do anything. All I ever get to do is sit, sing, and listen. I'd like to do more than that. Well, that's all about I ever do. Well, how come Mr. Mills, he always gets to pass the offering thingamajiggy, and Miss Teresa always gets to sing solos? Well, that's because they're older than you. Yeah, you they have are. things to do when you're older. Besides, would you want to sing by yourself in front of everyone in the church? Well, um, um. Well, well, well. Here comes Eddie. Maybe he can. You can ask him about it. I'll be back in a minute. Okay. Well, hello, everybody. Hey, hey. Yeah. Eddie. Yeah. It looks what? like everybody's here today. Yeah. Uh huh. Awesome. Um. Why is it so important for us to go to church, even when there's nothing to do? Hmm, that's a good question, Kelly Man. Yeah, I'm glad you asked that. Um, you got your Bible down there, right? Yep, I got okay. it right here. Well, get it and look up Hebrews ten twenty-four. Okay, and we'll see what God's word has to say about it. All right, let's see. It says, "And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works." Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more, mm-hmm. as ye the day approaching. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm gonna need some more help, Eddie. I I I need some help. I don't understand that. Can you help me out again? Ah, uh, you see, we need to help and teach each other to love and to do good works. Oh. Mm-hmm. We need to encourage others to serve the Lord so that they can encourage others in the same way. Oh, okay, well, I understand that, but what other reasons are we there? Well, I was going to get to that in a minute. It's fun and enjoyable to yeah. do things that help other people to enjoy a life with Jesus. When we get together, we have what we call fellowship. Mm-hmm. Is that like when we get together on Sunday afternoons and watch a movie here at church? And sometimes we play ball together outside? Mm-hmm. Oh. Okay. We also need to come together to worship the Lord quietly, listen to God's word. Jasmine. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. I can tell that you've been a good listener. Yes, I have. And you know, by being a good listener, we can set a good example for others to follow, right? There's one more verse I'd like to share, and it's Psalms 133.1. Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Can somebody tell me what that means? About those who 
our brothers and sisters in Christ,、mm-hmm. and how nice it is when they get together.、Oh. Since we all have Jesus in common, we can、yep. all worship Him together.、Oh. Mm-hmm. That's right. Are you paying attention there, Kelly May? Yep, I'm paying attention, Eddie. Okay. We can enjoy being with each other because we all believe the same. Say, isn't it time for Sunday school yet? Yeah, it's about that time, isn't it? I think it's time for children's church.、Uh-huh. Oh, oh boy, I really like to fellowship like that. Yeah. I guess. Well, I gotta go. It's time to go to children's church. See you later. Bye. Not being very quiet. And those of you who are older than thirteen, for sure, you can't go. Okay, I know they pumped it up. Now everybody wants to go to children's church, but please stay with us today. Tony, would you give me an F, please? Would you stand with me? We're going to take just a moment to welcome each other and、uh, share a bit of fellowship. Let's move around quickly and greet as many people we can, and let them know we're glad that they're here today. In the house of the Lord, would you? Oh, I love you with the love of the Lord. Yes, I love you with the love of the Lord. I can see in you the glory of my King, and I love you with the love of the Lord. Yes, I love you with the love. Of the Lord, oh, I love you with the love of the Lord. I can see in you the glory of my King, and I love you with the love of the Lord. It's love, it's love, it's love that makes the world go round. It's love. It's love, it's love that makes the world go round. It's love, it's love, it's love that makes the world go round. It's love that makes the world go round. So pass it on. God's love is meant for everyone. So pass it on. God's love is meant for everyone, so pass it on. God's love is meant for everyone. God's love is meant for everyone. You're my brother, you're my sister, so take me by the hand. Together we will work. Until he comes, there's no foe that can defeat us when we're walking side by side. As long as there is love, we will stand. 'Cause you're my brother, you're my sister, so take me by the hand. Together we will work. Until he comes, there's no foe that can defeat us when we're walking side by side. As long as there is love, we will stand.
together with force that cannot be broken. Find us together, Lord. Find us together, Lord. Find us together with love. As we wind down, we return to our seats now. There is only one God There is only one King There is only one body There is only one body And that is why we sing Last chorus we go all together now. Bind us together, Lord. Bind us together with cords that cannot be broken. Bind us together, Lord. Bind us together, Lord, bind us together with love. Amen. I want to join with um, Dr. Bradford in saying thank you for joining us today at New Life. We're glad that you're here. It's a blessing to see us come together ready to worship the Lord and sit together in the Lord's house and sing in the Lord's house and fellowship in the Lord's house. It's a wonderful thing, isn't it? If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Galatians chapter 5 and we're going to continue this morning our series on the fruit of the Spirit. I will read verse 22 in Galatians 5 to uh, kind of get, get us all on the same page. And then in your bulletin today, there's a sheet of paper there that contains, well, it's more than an outline, but you can follow along on that with us today as we go through it. It might be a help to you, not only today, but maybe later if you want to uh, rehearse later and review some of that again. Galatians 5.22 says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Today we're dealing with faithfulness. That is the particular element of the fruit of the Spirit we're dealing with today. But it's the same as all the rest because the idea, again, is we are envisioning here a tree with fruit on it. And if there's apples on a tree, you can recognize it's an apple tree. If there's bananas on that tree, you know it's a banana tree. If these things are in our lives, then we can be recognized as being Christians. That's the whole point. Before this, in the earlier in this passage, it says, Now the works of the flesh are evident. That means they can be seen. 
And those things are named and you see those things in people's lives. Well, conversely, the fruit of the spirit is supposed to be seen in the lives of a Christian. So therefore, as we commit our lives to the Lord Jesus Christ, we're Christians, we're saved. The Bible says that the Spirit of God is indwelling our lives. Then He wants to produce in us these things that we're talking about. Love and joy and peace and long-suffering and kindness and goodness. And then today, faithfulness we're talking about. These things should be seen. These things should be evident. These things should be visible in their lives. I'll tell you what, if a Christian manifests this fruit in their lives, it's going to be hard to hide the fact that they're a Christian. Amen. People are going to recognize that they're different because there's not a lot of people in this world that are walking around living their lives saturated and filled with love and joy and peace and long suffering and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control and so forth. So this would make someone a truly noticeable person, which is the whole point. We're not supposed to be hiding as Christians. We're not wearing camouflage through our culture to try to disguise the fact that we're believers. As a matter of fact, we're supposed to be so different from the world. Loving, caring, compassionate, filled with joy, long-suffering, not having a short fuse, but having a long fuse. It takes something to get us irate enough to where it shows because we, we are exercising self-control and all of those things add up to being Christ-like. We're more like Jesus when we do these things, which is the whole point. It's very important, extremely important. In fact, as a matter of fact, a lot of Christians, a lot of so-called Christians are blowing it because these things are not being seen. Amen. Oh, y'all can do better than that. You know good and well a Christian, somebody who claims to be a Christian, if they're, if they're filled with hate and not love, if they're filled with aggravation and not joy, if they're filled with worry and not peace, if they've got a fuse about this long and they're set to go off if you look at them wrong instead of being long suffering, if they're not kind, if they have no goodness in their lives, like we talked about last week, and then I'll go so far as to say this week, if they're not faithful, it's kind of hard to identify them and recognize them as being the, quote, Christian that they claim to be. Whoo, boy, we're getting down to the nitty gritty with these, aren't we? It makes us think. That's why it's worded this way. That's why we're supposed to wrestle with these things and think about these things. Because there is a way that Jesus lived and he wants us to live that way. Christians should be like Christ. Amen. Children of God should be like God. Now, some people just draw back at that. But the Bible says, this is God speaking now. He says, be ye holy for I, the Lord, your God, am holy. True. The Bible tells us that God is love. Well, we're supposed to be just saturated with love too. Certainly we know that God is faithful and he wants us to be faithful. We know that God is merciful and good he, and we need to be the same way. God is forgiving. We should be as well. So when we understand that's what this is talking about, this is so basic. This is, this has to do with who we are and how we live as Christians. It can't be ignored, glossed over, or shoved to the side. It is, uh, it, it is all about who we're supposed to be as Christians, and that's what we're learning. 
Fruit of the Spirit is not just a real nice children's church lesson where they can color apples and oranges and talk about fruit. It has to do with really living what this says. And if we miss that, we miss the point. And if we fail to do this, we fail to be like Christ. Because that's what these things are teaching us. So today, we're going to talk about faithfulness. You probably already want to say, oh me, or praise the Lord, one or the other. I'm starting this with a question on your sheet there. You'll see it listed. Which will it be? Which will it be? Jesus said to a servant in Matthew 25, 21, he said to that servant, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He also said that a second time to another servant in the same passage. However, there was a third servant that came before the Lord there to be judged. And this is what he heard. Drastically different. You wicked and lazy servant. And then about that servant, he went on to say, cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Matthew 25, 26, and 30. Now, you'll have to admit those are drastically different pronouncements to servants, aren't they? Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joys of the Lord. And the other is, you wicked and lazy servant. And he was told to cast that servant into outer darkness. Wow, it's quite a difference First Corinthians 4 verse 2 says, moreover, it is required. Can everybody say required? There's a difference in something being required and something being optional. True? The Bible says, moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. Now, faithfulness will be rewarded. We learn that from Matthew 25 verse 21. Faithfulness will be rewarded. Can you say amen? But as I stated, I think it was last Sunday. The Lord is not going to lie. The Lord is going to be honest. And he's not going to say to someone, well done, thou good and faithful servant, if they weren't a good and faithful servant. Is that true? True. Absolutely. And so there is a reward for those who are faithful, but there is, if there is a lack of faithfulness in an individual's life, then the results are going to be unpleasant to say the least. Now, I just want us to start off on the, on solid ground here. So I'm going to make this statement. One does not have to do anything other than confess, repent, and believe in order to be forgiven. Is that true? We are not saved by our works. We are not forgiven because we were good enough. Amen? The Bible says if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we come to Him as sinners. We come to Him in need of forgiveness And if we will, as this says very plainly there, if we will confess and repent and believe, 
then he will save us. The word of God declares that. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that he'll save us? The thief on the cross that was dying there with nails in his hands and his feet, he looked over at Jesus and says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And what did Jesus say? You can forget it, buddy. You've been guilty. Ain't no way. That's not what he said, is it? No. He said, today you will be with me in paradise. This thief on the cross did not have time to go any, go do any great works, evangelize or give offerings or play music or do any other thing. No, he was on the cross dying just like Jesus was. And Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. And Jesus forgave him. So it is true that in order to be forgiven, in order to be saved, the only requirement is that we come before the Lord sincerely and honestly and confess our sins and repent of our sins and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and we can be saved. Now, sadly, a lot of people stop right there and they don't go any farther in what scripture says about their obligations now as a babe in Christ or as a Christian. To do anything other than confess, repent, and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ is unnecessary to be saved. But after that, what is one supposed to be? You've become a Christian, but after that, after you've repented of your sins, the Lord saves you, then what are you supposed to be? What are you supposed to do at that point that you're already saved? And I would submit to you to use an old line from Paul Harvey. Many of you have probably never heard of him. He's been gone for a while, but he's an old broadcaster on the news for many, many years. And he had a segment about every day where he would tell an interesting story. And then he would say, and now the rest of the story. And he would tell a really interesting something that most of us had never heard about that story. Well, today I'm going to talk about the rest of the story. I'm not talking about today how to get saved. If you got that, would you say got it? I'm not talking about how to get saved. When we talk about how to get saved, just confess, believe with all your heart and repent of your sins, then you're going to be saved. What I'm going to talk about this morning is what the Bible says we're supposed to do after we get saved. And I'm going to tell you, there is a great, great need for people to hear this this morning. We're talking today about faithfulness. The Bible teaches us in... Matthew 7 verses 24 and 25 that we need to make sure that we're building solidly. Does anybody remember that? The, the scripture's not on your sheet there. That was an add-on, okay? Remember the what Jesus taught about building your house on the sand? And if you build on the sand, there was this danger that when the storms come, your house would crumble because you've built on the sand. But instead, we're supposed to build on the solid foundation. And then when the storms come, our house will hold fast because it was built properly and on a good foundation. Well, his point there was to teach us that our foundation in our Christian lives has to be solid. Else we're going to be in trouble. And I'll tell you, the fruit of the spirit is about as basic and foundational as it gets. This is what the Spirit of God wants to produce in us when we become Christians. He wants us to be these things. He wants us to do these things so that we can be pleasing in the sight of the Lord. When we built this church, I've built a couple of houses. When I built those houses, I had to always expect somebody to drop by. 
Who did I have to and expect to drop by occasionally? The inspector. You guys are good. And when he came, he may not have carried a book with him, but he had that book in his mind and he would look through everything, every detail. I was always amazed. When you dig a hole in the ground and are get ready to pour your footings, they come inspect that hole in the ground. They want to make sure it's wide enough, deep enough, the concrete's going to be. They, they inspect a hole in the ground. And then when you pour the concrete, they come back and inspect the concrete. Make sure that it's poured deeply enough. And every detail along the way is subject to inspection by somebody who really knows the way it should be. Well... By the same token, there is a process of spiritual growth that we go through and we're not going to experience the fruit of the spirit being in our lives soon as we get saved. Uh, it's going to take sometimes a little while. How many of you know it takes a little while for the fruit to show up? Am I right? So when we come to the Lord and we're saved, he starts to work on us immediately. But for all of these things to come to fruition, pardon the pun there, in order for all these things to come to fruition, it might take a little bit of time. I've shared with you before, I think it was the very first sermon I preached in the very first church I was in. And this gentleman came, a young man that had been away from the Lord. He came to the church and he came to the altar and he received Christ at the end of the service. And I've always remembered his testimony when he got up from the altar. He was beaming. He was beaming. And I asked him if he'd like to say anything, uh, testify or anything. He said, I just love everybody. And that was his testimony. Evidently, there was some things in his heart that maybe had him to be otherwise before he committed himself to the Lord. But you could already see love beginning to bud, grow in his life, as well as many other things. It's a growing process. We start out as babes in Christ and we grow through maturity. The Bible teaches that, as you well know. The problem is sometimes when someone has prayed the prayer and they've asked the Lord to be their Savior and there they stop. Did you know some people do that? They look at praying that prayer as a get out of hell free card. The only reason they came to the Lord was because they didn't want to go to hell. They didn't want to go be separated from God eternally and be in a burning place. So they prayed that prayer because they had a fear of hell. They had no desire of a changed life. They had no intention of a changed life. They would just thought if they'd pray that prayer, it's like saying abracadabra, something was going to happen. They could pray that prayer, then their life was going to, life was going to be changed. Now their eternal destiny was going to be heaven. I've got to tell you folks, it goes a little bit deeper than that, doesn't it? The Lord requires us to do some things. Remember, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. The fruit of the Spirit is faithfulness as we're talking about this morning. Now, examination of the Spirit, of the fruit of the Spirit, offers us much help. We can be tremendously helped and strengthened and matured by allowing the Spirit of God to produce these things in us. But we... We have to understand that being redeemed, y'all remember that song? I'm redeemed by love divine, glory, glory, Christ is mine, all to him I now resign, I have been, I have been redeemed. Or what about the other hymn? Redeemed, how I love to proclaim it, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. I'm glad I'm redeemed. Are you? 
But now let's talk for a moment about what it means to be redeemed. Being redeemed actually suggests a change of ownership. Redeemed. We've been bought back. We've been purchased with a price. We are no longer our own. The Bible says we are bought with a price. Amen? So I'm not my own anymore. I don't have the right to make all these decisions and and all these things in my own life. I have to understand now that there's been a change of ownership. I don't belong to me anymore. I belong to Jesus now. I've been bought with a price. I'm going to have to give attention to what he wants. He is my Lord. I don't know if that's me or somebody else. But we're going to have to understand when we're redeemed, there are some obligations incumbent upon us. There's some expectations made of us. There's some requirements to be a Christian. There's some things that the Lord is looking for and some things without which we're going to be in trouble with him eventually if we don't understand. Because you just can't keep playing with sin your whole life and expect to be pleasing to the Lord. Amen. We're going to, we're going to see that a little bit plainer here in just a few moments. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Now, Jesus said, if anyone desires to come after me, let him do what? Deny himself. Does that sound like a pleasant thing for anybody? I mean, if you think denying yourself is not a challenge, I could ask for a show of hands of how many of us have gone on a diet in the last 10 years. Or more than one. And I, it's hard to deny yourself, is it not? It's difficult. But Jesus said, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. Listen, I'm not talking about food right now. I'm talking about things much more important than that. Jesus said, if you're going to come after me and be my disciple, you're going to have to deny yourself. There's things that you might have been doing you can't do anymore. There's things that you might like that you're going to have to shed and push off to the side. There are things that I'm going to do to change your life, Jesus says. So if anyone desires to come after me, let him what? Deny himself and take up his cross. Now, you've heard me say before, I'm sure, if you've been around very long, that... A cross is not something that's made to look at. A, a cross is an instrument of death that's made to die on. And so when we look at this, it is, it is death that is in view. It's not physical death that's in view. Because as we understand from this passage and from other passages, it's, Jesus doesn't call us necessarily to die physically for him. But he does call us to die for him. That is, there are some things in our lives, maybe our wants, our desires, our habits, our practices. Some of that stuff has to go when we come to Christ. 
Therefore, the Bible says, if anyone comes after me, Jesus said, let him deny himself. You can't always have your way because you've been bought with a price. Sometimes you're going to have to conform to his image and what he wants. You're going to have to take up your cross. And how many know this? Whether you die on that cross you pick up or not, just carrying the thing can be tough. Remember Jesus carrying the cross? Remember, it was so difficult and so heavy, he actually stumbled and fell. Somebody else had to pick it up and help him carry it. So the, the idea here is, is the denying ourselves, carrying a cross, and as we carry that cross, we follow him. Now, the next phrase in that passage says, for whoever desires to save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Now, I want us to understand right here, we are not talking about physical death. Jesus is not talking about physical death. And most of the time when we read this, we get locked into Jesus on the cross, nails in the hand, spear in the side, and Jesus died on the cross. All that is true. But he's using the imagery of a cross here, but he's not talking about us dying a physical death he's talking about us dying another kind of death that's why the apostle paul said i beseech you therefore brethren by the mercies of god ye present your bodies a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to god which is your reasonable service and he went on to say be not conformed to this world but be ye transformed by the renewing renewing the renewing of your minds, you're going to think differently than you thought before. You're going to do differently than you thought before. Your life is going to be changed from what it was before. You're not going to do the same things you used to do. Your life has been changed. And if you seek to save your life, if you seek to continue doing the things you used to do, you're going to end up losing your life. But if you'll lose the life that you have now for the life that Jesus has for you, you'll end up saving your life. Does that make sense? There are things when we come to the Lord, listen, we come to the Lord to begin with generally because we recognize sin in our lives. Amen. And we need forgiveness. So we come to the Lord. We pray the prayer. We confess. We believe. We uh, repent. Theoretically, at least to to really repentance means to make a turnaround and go the other direction. So don't do it anymore. That's what it really means. But in practice, that doesn't always happen. People think repent is just saying, Lord, I'm sorry. Well, if you don't quit doing what you were doing, you haven't repented yet. Because repent means to make a turnaround and do things differently. Another confirmation of when you come to the Lord Jesus Christ and are truly saved, you can't be like you were before. There's got to be a change to indicate in your life to you that it's real. Which is also why the Bible tells us if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. We have to change. Am I right? Amen. That's what the Bible tells us. So if any man desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. There again, it's not about dying physically. It's about dying to your desires. It's about dying to self. It's about dying to what you want and preferring instead to embrace what God wants for you and in your life. 
Well, that's pretty cool. Pretty hard. To save for whoever desires to save his own life. From the Greek dictionary, it means to heal, to preserve, to save yourself, to do well, to make whole. What I'm suggesting here is in that passage, he's not calling us to a physical death. He's calling us to a a death of our preferences and our desires. Because a lot of times people want to come to the Lord and repent, but then they want to keep doing the same things they repented of. That would be preserving your old lifestyle, preserving your life that you had before. When the Lord doesn't just want to forgive you of your past sins, he wants to cleanse you from those things so you don't do them again. Amen? He, he's The grace of God and the blood of Jesus will forgive us from all sin, but it's a transforming grace. It is a miraculous grace. That changes us so that we then don't return to the, like the hog to the, to the pit or the dog to his vomit as scripture says. We don't return to those things. We have left those things. We have repented. We've been saved. And so as we continue, scripture has a lot to say about a believer after he becomes a Christian. He's called a follower, for example. To be a follower is to follow the example of someone, to follow the teaching of someone. And that's what Christians are, because they follow the example of Jesus Christ. And they follow the teaching of the Lord. To be a disciple is another word that's descriptive of Christians. To be a disciple is someone who is exercising discipline in their lives. That's what the word disciple comes from. They are, again, are learning from the Lord Jesus Christ and they are copying what they see in Jesus. Again, they're a follower, a disciple of the Lord. Behind that word servant that we read in the New Testament about Christians, servant has probably more than anything else to do with obedience. A servant is obedient. If a servant is not obedient, he gets into big trouble. And so Jesus says, why do you call me Lord and you don't do the things I say? You all read that question before? Jesus looked at the people. He said, why call you me Lord, Lord, and do not the things I say? Well, Lord means I'm in control. I'm master. Yet you call me master, but you don't do what I want you to do. You're not obedient. The Bible teaches us that obedience is better than sacrifice. Obedience is better than our worship. In fact, our worship isn't worth much unless there is obedience to him. So we have this obligation. We're followers, we're disciples, we're servants, we're stewards. We've already read where the Bible says it is required of stewards that a man be found faithful. To be a child of God means you are, you are born again. That you bear resemblance now to your heavenly father. I don't remember who it was, whoever it was may be in this building this morning. I don't remember. I don't have a clue who it was, but somebody, somebody told me just last week, your two children look just like you. Well, I'm not surprised. I mean, that is the way it works. And when we're born again as Christians, you know what? We're supposed to begin to look like our father. Father. 
We're supposed to look like his son, Jesus Christ. In all areas of our lives, we began to be transformed. And, and we don't try to save who we used to be. We're willing to be transformed and conformed into the image of Christ. And he does things in our lives that probably we never dreamed he was going to do. I'll suggest to you, as a matter of fact, I'll just tell you plain out. This is the way it is. When you come to Jesus and commit your life to him, you don't have a clue what he's going to require of you at some point in the future. He may ask you to do things you never dreamed of. I could give you testimonies. He's done that with me. When I was a little boy, I remember dad and myself going fishing. I was just a little tot. And, and uh, we were fishing somewhere where there was a pier in a, in a lake. And we caught some fish. And this man came up and was talking to dad. I don't even know if he remembers or not. And this man introduced me as, as, as this is Ronnie. This is my son. And, and they were talking, found out dad was a pastor. And this man looked at me and said, you're going to be a pastor like your dad when you grow up? And I said, no, sir. <laughs> I had no intentions. No intentions. As a matter of fact, I was adamant it wasn't going to happen. But I'll tell you what, the Lord has a way of putting the squeeze on you. Where he'll, he'll cause you to do what he wants you to do or he'll make you so miserable until you do, you can't live with yourself. You don't know what the Lord's going to require of you and I don't know what he may require of me before it's over. The point is we're supposed to be listening and responsive to him, whatever that might be. Amen. He wants to change our lives. We're new creatures in Christ Jesus. We're not like we used to be. We don't need to try to hold on to what we used to be like. Any change, I'll tell you this, any change that God wants to make in your life will be a change for the better. Amen. Husbands are better husbands when they're following Christ. That's all right. Don't amen. I know it puts you on a hot seat. Wives are better wives when they're following Christ. Children are better children when they're Christians and following Christ. Employees are better employees when they're committed to Jesus. Managers or owners of businesses, they're better people. More pleasant to be around. When they're surrendered to Jesus as well. Well. As we continue. We have the DNA of our father. The Holy Spirit resides within us. And he causes us and helps us to act like we're supposed to do. We're supposed to be real. Genuine Christians. That is to be like the Lord. Now, the spiritual fruit under examination today is faithfulness, and it implies, as we saw earlier, consistency. You see, somebody who does the right thing one day a week, that's not consistency. Consistency is just like a clock ticking. Timex. They, they, just, they just keep on. They're consistent. You can count on them. They may be cheap, but they work. Consistency. And then persistency. Indicates there might be some opposition or some struggle, but still you persist and you push through. And then diligence requires some effort on our part, which is why the Bible says fight the good fight of faith and lay hold on eternal life. You have a made up my mind, a made up mind, and you won't turn around or change your mind. Now, very quickly, 
Over the next 10 or 15 minutes, we're going to run through seven areas in which the believer should be faithful. Would you expect anything else from me this morning? Because if I'm going to talk about faithful, we need to know what faithfulness looks like. True? There's a lot of words we use in scripture. We don't know what they mean. We just throw them around. So if I'm going to tell you that the fruit of the spirit is faithfulness and we're supposed to exhibit that in our lives, we need to know what that's going to look like. Well, let's go through this list. Number one, we, these are seven areas in which we need to be faithful. Number one, faithfulness and fellowship with God. And what I've, what I have on my mind there is prayer. How many of you know we should pray? How many know it's hard to pray? You, you, your schedule will get full. Your plate will be full. You won't have the time. You get distracted. There are other things to do. I mean, after all, you gotta watch four hours of TV every night. How in the world am I gonna pray? Right? I mean, when am I gonna fit? Listen, there are 1440 minutes in every single day. Please listen. There are 1,440 minutes in every single day. And if you didn't do anything but pray, well, you, you might say, well, I, I pray the Lord's Prayer every day. You know how long that takes? 30 seconds. I timed it this morning. That means out of 1,440 minutes, you gave God 30 seconds if you prayed the Lord's Prayer. Well, bless your heart. Let's get you a merit badge. No. God deserves more than that, doesn't he? He, he deserves more time than that. We're talking about fellowshipping with God. Listen, the old hymn, and he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I'm his own. Going before the Lord in prayer and time alone with him, that's more than just words. That's more than just a song. It's something that we should practice every day of our lives because that's where we come into fellowship with God. If God seems like he's 10 million miles away to you, I'll submit to you it's because you aren't talking to him every day. Because if you're spending time talking with the Lord every day and you establish that as a habit in your life, you're going to find out pretty quick. Not only does do you talk to him, but if you'll hush long enough, sometimes he'll say something to you as well. He'll speak. We'll get to that a little bit later down the list. But fellowship with God is so important. Now, I'll submit to you a good discipline might be. If you've got a 30-minute commute to work every morning, find some good praise music and and forget the hip-hop and the diddly-bop and all that other stuff. Just, just put on some good, worshipful Christian music and pray on your way to work. With eyes open, by the way. With your eyes open, listening to the music, just drive down the high. I was praying on the way to church this morning. Just just. People thought I was crazy if they saw me because I wasn't just in my mind. I was talking to the Lord. You ought to try it sometime. It's amazing what will happen. Nobody there but you. Just open your mouth and talk to the Lord. Just like you were talking to me or just like you were talking to anybody else. And, and say what's on your heart and say how you feel and tell the Lord all about it. Just a little talk with Jesus makes it right, the old song says. So, so talk to the Lord. And if you will talk to the Lord, you'll find out that he'll begin to talk to you too. 
30 seconds out of every day if you do the Lord's Prayer. That would be, well, I'll move on before I get in trouble. Number two, faithfulness in listening to God. Now, we, we listen to God. We can hear his voice in a lot of ways. And probably the most predominant way that I'll submit to you that we hear from the Lord is from his word. It's by no means the only way, but it's probably the dominant way because after all, we do call this the word of God. And we're not being trite or cutesy when we do that. This is the word of God. So you will never get direction in your life about what to do and what not to do or how to do it or what God may be leading you. You'll never get answers really until you begin to understand what God's will is. There's a lot of things the Bible teaches us that we're missing simply because, listen, after over 35 years now in in full-time ministry and before that uh, a good while reading, being a committed reader and studier of the Bible, of the Scripture, I have things all the time that's, that just woof, just appear that I've never really noticed and seen before. And we'll find out that as we study the Scripture and read His Word and meditate on it, and then we're praying in conjunction with that, we'll find that He'll begin to speak to your heart about things in your life maybe that you need to change. Well, maybe you don't want to know those things. We need to know those things because the Lord is looking for faithfulness and obedience. So we need to be listening to God. The, the map is, the, the Bible is our road map, if you will, to know how to live and where to go in life. And I, I kind of look at the Holy Spirit as our GPS. You know what I mean? You ever been going down the highway and you're using your GPS and it'll say recalculating, recalculating. And it'll make you do a U-turn or something. That's the way the Holy Spirit is in our life. Because you may not understand Scripture as well as you should. And you're wondering about something or about to do something. And you know what? If you'll, if you'll be a praying man or a praying woman and in fellowship with the Lord, the Holy Spirit will let you know. You're not supposed to do this. Or you shouldn't have done that. You need to go make that right. He's our GPS. He'll... He'll kind of nudge us and push us in certain ways and guide us in our lives. So we're talking about prayer, which is talking to God and listening to God being extremely important. Number three, faithfulness in doing what he says. Now, it's one thing to hear from God. It's another thing to do what he says. So the Bible says, be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. Is there anybody in this building just like me? You can say, I know a whole lot more to do than what I'm doing. That's probably most of us. And so we need to be, we need to be doing, we need to be obedient to the word of God. Number four, faithfulness in his house. I thought it was interesting that the puppets came up with this verse of scripture today. I'm going to read it to you. It's talking about corporate worship coming to the house of the Lord. In Hebrews Chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. I'd like for you to listen very carefully again to this verse. Uh, We did not consult with each other, and we both landed on this verse today. That's interesting. And let us consider one another. 
Those three words, consider one another. Would you say that with me? Consider one another. In other words, think about somebody besides yourself. Your, your actions, your inaction, or your action when you do things the right way has an effect on other people. So the Bible says, let us consider one another. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. Now, how many of you who are here, you've been here over a month, let's say. This is your church. How many of you will admit with me when you come to church and you see the church relatively filled, you're encouraged? Raise your hand. Now, how many of you, by the same token, sometimes come to church and it's kind of sparse? How many will admit you look at that and in your spirit, that's a bummer. It it kind of makes you feel bad. See, that's what that verse is saying. The verse says, and let us consider one another. Listen, you might not think that your absence makes any difference, but I'll tell you, your absence in church does make a difference. For one thing, it's not good for you, but for another thing, it's not good for the rest of the body. So the Bible says, let us consider one another. Consider what others, how they're going to be impacted. Let us consider one another to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. And here's something that's interesting, but exhorting one another, encouraging one another, admonishing one another, and... These words, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Does anybody, does anybody nowadays see the day approaching? Does it look like to you that things are kind of winding down and something's getting ready to happen on this whole earth? And as you look at that, you realize the end times, the things we read about in scripture can't be all that far off. So we need to be more faithful now than we've ever been. We need to encourage one another more than we've ever done it before. We need to be more aware than we've ever been before that my actions affect you and your actions affect me. And consider one another. What a, what a wonderful and important admonition that is. Number five, faithfulness in your daily walk. I'm referring there primarily to sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. You can't go wrong, folks, if you're listening to the Holy Spirit. You may not understand why you're feeling, feeling led to do a particular thing. But whenever you feel that the Spirit is leading you to do something, we need to do that. You never know what a difference it will make in somebody's life. I used this illustration the other day. I think it was in a Bible study I was talking about this. But a couple of weeks ago, I talked about tithing one morning. In our time. Anybody remember that? And when I finished, Joni got up and said something. She said, I just feel like I need to say something. Kind of waved her hand and got my attention. And, and what she said and what she did that Sunday morning was, was a great blessing. Several, I heard several talking about how encouraging that was. That's okay. We need to do those things. And it's a good thing to be obedient to the Spirit of the Lord when we feel those things. So we need to be Faithful in our daily work, we need to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And again, I've written out beside that consistency, persistency, and diligence. Be consistent. Listen, talking about faithfulness now. If I had, 
if I had a um, I'm trying to think of a good here's an illustration. If one of my parents got to the point in life where they were unable to care for themselves and I had to seek out someone to come and be a caregiver in the home for them during the day. You know that scenario, right? It's happening all over the place. Okay, if I'm looking for a caregiver for my parents and I find someone but they are not faithful. They're inconsistent, in fact. They don't show up when they're supposed to. Out of five days, they might show up two. They're late the other three. Do you think I'm going to leave them there very long? No, there's no way. Because their care is important to me. I would not dare allow that to happen. I wouldn't put up with inconsistency. In that way. But if I hired somebody and they were there every day when they were supposed to be there. And while they were there, they were doing everything that needed to be done. And when they left, they said, listen, if I can do anything else to help you, please let me know. I'd probably keep them just as long as I could keep them, wouldn't I? Faithfulness is important. I've often said if I had a refrigerator that worked three out of the seven days, it ain't worth a dime. Is it? So the Lord is calling us to faithfulness, consistency, persistency, diligence every single day to be faithful to him. Faithfulness number six in stewardship. That is our time, our talents and our treasure. Very quickly. If you've got 1,440 minutes every day of your life, how much of that time should we really be able to devote to the Lord and to kingdom activities. Out of 1,440. And I'll remind you. I heard. I heard an astounding. Astounding. Um, statistic this week. That now screen time. Counting television. And computer. Screen time for adults now. Has gone up between 8 and 9 hours a day. Eight to nine hours a day. Wow. I'm going to tell you, if we're going to be good stewards of our time, we're, we're going to have to be diligent about it. Amen? We're going to have to make conscious decisions that I'm going to put God first in my time. I can carve out some commuting time on my way to work to talk to the Lord. I can do the same thing on the way back from work. I can talk to the Lord. I can do something here. I can do something there. But please, let's not shove everything that has to do with God and his kingdom off the plate and say we're too busy. While we got plenty of time to watch every television show we want to watch and think nothing about it. Oh boy, getting down to the nitty gritty today, aren't we? Talents, faithfulness and stewardship involves our talents. You know what? We may be able to have ability and giftings in all kinds of areas. Who was it that gave us our talents and gifts and abilities? God did. If we don't use them for him, what a sad thing that is. So to be good stewards 
of our giftings, our talents, is to use that for Him. And then our treasure, of course, our finances, tithing and giving and that type of thing. For those of you who don't know, several years ago, someone sent us $1 million and paid off this building. To this day, I don't know who that was, but whoever it was, sure was a good steward. Amen? And it sure blessed this church. We may not have a million to give, but you know what? We can give what we can. And it'd be a blessing to the kingdom of God. And then number seven, finally, faithfulness in shining. Had some trouble last night at our house. My parents did it at their house. Harold and Francis did it at their house. Anybody else have trouble last night? Oh, my goodness, look at all the hands going up. Lights were on a while off a while. I told somebody, every Saturday evening I go into my closet and I get clothes ready for the next morning. Because I get in and out before Joy gets up and I don't want to bother her. So I, I went into the closet, got ready to pick my clothes out and the power went out. So I went back in the living room. By the time I got there, the power went out again. Came back on. Went, I did that, I think, five times. I went in my closet five times to get clothes. And every time when I walked in, the power went out. And the last time it was for an hour and a half or two hours, something like that. I don't remember exactly how long it was. If that's a picture of us and our walk with the Lord and how we let our light shine, if it's, if it's that, if it's that undependable, if it's that sporadic, if we can shine brightly on Sunday morning while we're at church, but we don't flicker again till we get back on Wednesday. That's not what the Lord is looking for, is it? Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. It is extremely important, this thing we're talking about today, faithfulness. Watch this if you would.
Which will it be? Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Or, you wicked and lazy servant, cast the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Would you stand with us today? I hope you can sing this song this morning truthfully. The first line especially, it says faithfulness, faithfulness, 
It's what I long for. See, I can't take for granted that you want to be faithful. That's a personal choice that you make. One that I have to make. But let's sing this together. Allow it to speak to our hearts as we sing. Faithfulness, faithfulness is what I long for. Faithfulness is what I need. Faithfulness, faithfulness is what you want from me. Is what I long for. Faithfulness is what I need. Faithfulness, faithfulness is what you want from me. Thank you, Lord, for your word today, which gives us indication, very plainly so in the Bible, about what you expect from us. With all the things mentioned in the fruit of the Spirit, Lord, by the Holy Spirit, you decided to include faithfulness as being one of those. It's my prayer today, Lord, that you would take this simple sermon 
that's been shared. Nothing deep. Probably nothing new. Probably we all knew all of this already, but remind us. Somehow take it deeper than intellectual level and make it spiritual for us. Allow it take root in our lives and our hearts and help us to understand that this is what you require. This is what you're looking for. This is what you're expecting from your children that indeed we would be faithful and that we would have love and joy and peace and long suffering and all these other things. This is what you're trying to form in us, to craft in us, to produce in us. This is what you called us to. Deliver us from the temptation of trying to save our own lives. That that life that we had before we're converted, where we try to hang on to some of those things. Lord, we don't want to save that. We want to just cast that aside and let you remake us and reform us and conform us, transform us into your will and what you've called us to be. So we thank you today. Oh Lord, speak to our hearts. If we're falling short, help us to be honest enough to respond to what the Spirit is saying to us individually today. And help us to determine in our hearts and minds it's going to be different. Because we're going to yield our lives to you. We're going to surrender to you. We're not going to seek to save our own lives and keep it the way it's always been. But Lord, we're going to give it over to you and let you make out of us indeed a new creature in Christ Jesus. One that produces fruit and exhibits faithfulness. Faithfulness, faithfulness is what I long for. Faithfulness is what I need. Faithfulness, faithfulness is what you want from me.